You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Good morning. Hey, John 7, John 7, 1 through 24 is where we'll be this morning. Hey, if you uh, weren't here last week, let me introduce myself quickly. My name is Greg Gibson, family pastor here. Basically, I just see, oversee crib to college and uh, all of our life stage teams within that. And so the past couple weeks, we've been talking about our family ministry calendar for the summer, kind of what that looks like. We just finished uh, Friday night. We had a, just a big family fun night, relational time at Springbrook Pool. Tons of fun. A couple hundred people came out. Thanks for all who came out and were part of that. The, the water slide is just bananas. It's awesome. I don't know why I said bananas, but it's awesome. Um, one thing of note on that family ministry calendar is the Kid Street Gospel class. So that's going to start Wednesday, June 24th at 5.30. So Kid Street Gospel class, that's for second graders through fifth graders. And basically, we're just going to teach them the essentials and the foundations of the faith. So um, things like, you know, does the Bible contain errors? How to understand the Trinity? Um, you know, the, the doctrine of the resurrection, how God created the world. Questions like that, appropriate um, for that age level, um, and then continually, prayerfully, hopefully, just provide building blocks for them. So you have to register for that, foothillschurch.com slash summer. Again, Wednesday, June 24th at 6.30, or sorry, 5.30 p.m. Um, it's going to be a great event for us. Let's pray. We'll get to work. Father, thank you so much for this church, and thank you for um, your word and uh, how it speaks to us and um, teaches us how to be more like your son and how you've revealed yourself to us in your word. And so God, this morning as we um, just continue to worship, as we've already worshiped through singing and giving, I pray that this time still is worship. I pray that as we open your word that you teach us um, essentially what we're gonna read, how to live for you and not for the world. And we pray all this in your incredible son's name, amen. Hey, let me paint this picture for you this morning as we begin. So there are two realities really taking place in the world today. And really, they've always taken place, but the two realities are, are the kingdom and the world. So we have, we have the kingdom on one side, we have the world on the other, dividing line right down the middle, kingdom, world. We kind of live with this, this dividing line separating these two realities. Um, the kingdom kind of says the things of God, the church, Christians, Spiritual things, the world really tends to be everything else. The kingdom, the way God intended the world to be. The world, the way you know, things are because of the, the realities and the corruption of sin. The kingdom, good. The world, evil. The kingdom, double stuffed Oreos. You know, the, the world, Cheetos. I just stopped eating Cheetos. But if you take a handful of Cheetos and put a double stuffed Oreo in it, potentially kingdom. I don't know. So the weird tension we live in right now, which really is, is nothing new at this point in history, is that sometimes we want to bring these two realities together and live as if the kingdom and the world kind of coexist together. This, this blurring the lines, as it were, of what the kingdom and what the world really are. So like we have become so obsessed like with you know, colloquial catchphrases that we say all the time, you know, like, we should all just love one another. 
you know, I'm sure you've probably said that in that same voice inflection, but like we say it, we say it all the time. Or, or maybe you said things like, you know, it's okay to live this way as long as it makes me happy, right? Or it's okay as long as it makes you happy. And the tension here is that we oftentimes want to blend Christianity, the kingdom, with the world, blur the lines where it no longer looks like Christianity anymore, anymore. At least the Christianity of the Bible, the Christianity that we see Jesus teach through the Gospels, um, or the Christianity that Jesus lived and calls us to live. And so, um, like for us, I mean, we, we begin to look like the world, we begin to talk like the world, and the last thing is that oftentimes, right, we feel the weight and the tension here, but we begin to believe the same things of the world. And um, I was just reminded of this truth this week on Monday night, I, I get home from work and I turn on ESPN, of all things, because I want to see the, the top 10 plays and I want to see someone dunk on somebody. And I'm bombarded with this news that Bruce Jenner, a former, like, famous Olympic man, um, athlete, has now become a female. And that ESPN is now going to, to honor him or her with the Arthur Ashe Courage Award at this year's ESPYs. And so I'm sitting here like on my couch listening to this. My kids are here, you know, around me, families around me. We haven't really talked through this with young kids, obviously. Um, but it's a classic case of the medium becoming the message, even with ESPN jumping on this whole aspect of, hey, like I'm thinking I'm turning on ESPN to watch family-friendly dunk on you stuff, you know? Like that's what I want to watch. But what I get is a classic case of the medium becoming the message. And so jumping on this bandwagon of agenda that, hey, even our platform, we're gonna use this to bring it into your living rooms, bring it into the ears and the lives of your family, your children, whatever the case may be. So I'm sitting here shocked at this. I'm, I'm speechless at this. I mean, just this week, we're watching something on ABC Family and we see like a, a trailer almost for a show that's coming on about this same thing about how this dad is changing and how this family is gonna deal with this. ABC family, right? And so one of the, the biggest responses that I saw from the media this week concerning this topic and other mediums that are out there and even some professing Christians is, is that Christians should love and support this act of courage. It's kind of the, the main media, like, you know, message, if it were, that Christians should love and support this act of courage. Again, the kingdom and the world attempted to be blurred. And so my point is not to say, all right, how should Christians respond to this this morning? That's not my point. Like, if we're gonna say the kingdom, the world, dividing lines, we feel the weight as believers in our culture to say, hey, all right, if we're gonna live as the kingdom, as Jesus calls us to live, but we have this stuff going on in the world, you know, we, we kind of begin to, to look the same way as the world, talk the same way as the world, and then kind of the last step or the last straws, we begin to, to believe the same things as the world. And so, I mean, when, you, when we look at this passage here in just a minute in John 7, 1 through 24, like we're gonna, we're gonna work through this, but we see a Jesus here in these 24 verses who was, Loving, yes, full of grace, yes, but also not afraid to speak truth. So truth, grace, truth, love coming together, right? In this, in how we see 
who Jesus is and the teachings that he has, even in these, these 24 verses here. So there was no room for blurring the lines of the kingdom and the world in the life of Jesus or in his disciples or in the lives of us as his disciples, which is the, really the point of the entire sermon, entire passage, sort of an elementary principle for us this morning that I'm gonna remind us of, but I want us to go back to it and then I want us to build off of it and leave hopefully encouraged um, in this way. And so the, I, want you, I want to really remind you of what this essential truth is, is that this, this elementary principle um, that we all know if we've been walking with Christ for some time is, is this. You cannot be like the world and also be like Christ. You cannot be like the world and also be like Christ. Let's jump in together. Verse 1. We have 24 verses to read, so we're going to work through it all, and I'm going to make some observations as we move forward. So verse 1, after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. So why were the Jews seeking to kill him? Well, tons of reasons, really. Like Jesus was claiming to be the son of man. Um, Last week, we talked about, you know, how um, he claimed to be the bread of life, you know, which the prophets spoke about. He healed a man on the Sabbath, and so the Jews are kind of saying, hey, you work on the Sabbath, so they're trying to persecute him, kill him. All these people um, who are kind of afraid of the Jews are are doing the same thing, and so the Jews seeking to kill him at this point. Verse two, now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So because we all don't know what the feast of booths is, let me just kind of explain this for a second. The feast of booths kind of happens around this time of, of harvest, and uh, it's a celebration, it's a week-long festival, remembering God's provision, but also celebrating what God has given them now. So anytime throughout scripture, especially through the Old Testament, when we see things like harvest, barley harvest, like season of harvest, it really is a reflection or a magnifying glass on the fact that God does provide for his people. Last week we talked about bread and how bread is kind of the throughout the Old Testament, the sanctuary, the savior really of Israel in, in a way through different aspects of the, you know, the story and the history of Israel pointing to the true bread who is Jesus, right? And so kind of in chapter six, we see Jesus take a couple pieces of bread, feed thousands of people with them, sets the stage for one of his big I am statements, I am the bread of life, right? Bread being fulfilled in Christ, pointing to the ultimate feast in Revelation 19. And even here, we kind of set the, we see the stage of like this feast pointing to the fact that God provided in Israel through the wilderness wanderings, through several different things, and then ultimately pointing to the fact that God provides in Jesus alone. Like that's our, that's our ultimate reality when we read scripture. God provides, but God provides through Christ now. And God, and our, and, and God continues to provide to us through Christ as our faith is pointing forward to something even greater. And so God's graciousness in the present is seen in the harvest that has just occurred at this time of year, Deuteronomy 16, we kind of see this here. And his past blessing is his provision during the wilderness wanderings. You guys have read that. And in the previous chapter, again, we see this fulfilled in Jesus. So this is a feast that emphasizes God's provision, remembering the past, celebrating the present. Feast of booths, we got it. Right, verse three. So his brothers, his brothers then said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also 
may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Man, there is so much irony in these two verses right here for us. Like there's so much application even for this. Like how often like, do I, do you scream kind of this stuff? You know, like world notice me, right? Like notice me, like through Facebook, Twitter, social media, social media apps. Like I don't think any of that stuff is bad. I have all of that stuff. Um, but like all these mediums, if we are not careful, can scream this exact thing. Like don't work in secret, right? Kind of what the disciples are saying. Don't work in secret. Make yourself known. Become a celebrity. Show yourself to the world, right? Show yourself to the world. So for no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. In other words, Jesus, like you've performed these signs, these miracles, now go and do them at the Feast of Booths so that people can know you and you can be known. Like, and we wanna ride your coattails. It's like, it's not really clicking on all cylinders just yet with the disciples. And so we've got a three-year-old and a one-year-old and we're currently teaching my three-year-old how to interrupt. And uh, like, we could, Grace and I could be in the kitchen like having a conversation and Cora could come into the kitchen and if you've had children or young children, you know, it's like, walk in, they want our attention. Most of the time, Grace's and Cora walks in. She's like, mama, 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 you know, just keeps going until we, until we answer. It's like, you know, it's so annoying, first of all. And like, of course, I want to love her, but also pick her up and like punt her, you know. And so it's, it's this weird tension that I have. And so we, we're, we're teaching her specifically how to interrupt. And uh, like one thing we're doing is like teaching her to, and whoever's attention she wants to come in and put her hand um, on their arm will acknowledge it and talk to them when we're ready. Still hasn't worked. So <laughs> if you guys have any parenting tips, help a brother out on this one. But uh, we're, we're still learning and still trying to figure that out. But like kind of this is what the disciples are doing in a way. Like Jesus, 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 you know, like let us be known through you. Notice me. Let the world notice you, no matter what. Stand on the mountaintop and be the celebrity. Like show yourself through your signs and through your miracles, all the wondrous, awesome things that you're doing. Show these things, show this stuff to the world. World, notice me. And here's, here's kind of what, what Jesus says. Verse five, for not even his brothers believed in him. And then Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come but your time is always here. And then in verse seven, Jesus kind of lays the foundation of our, our text and our sermon this morning. He says this. He says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You see the dividing line of which Jesus is talking about already? The kingdom, the world cannot coexist together. The world cannot hate you, Jesus says, but it hates me. I testify about it that its works are evil. You cannot scream, world, notice me, and at the same time scream, Jesus, notice me, right? Like we cannot live for the kingdom and also live for the world. You cannot pursue the things of this world while at the same time pursue the things of Christ. 
You cannot talk like the world and at the same time talk like a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot believe the things of the world and at the same time believe the things that Jesus teaches us through his word. You cannot be what? Like the world and also be like Christ. Church, this is what is known as living with a biblical worldview. Like in other words, like how you make decisions for your own life, for your family, um, how you prioritize life, how you spend money, the things that you do, it's kind of all through the lens of this, scripture and, and Jesus. And so biblical worldview living is, is, is basically what I'm talking about. So how you view the world, how you make decisions, how you spend your money, how you parent your children, how you pursue being a husband and wife. Side note, I think that's the most important hat that you can wear. All these things through the lens of a biblical worldview. In other words, we attempt to view the world and then live in it as Jesus viewed the world and he lived in it. Like that's our goal. Not, you know, kingdom world blurring the lines. Look like it, talk like it, then believe the same things because we feel the weight of tension of the culture of what it could potentially label us if we begin to also let those things bleed into our views and our worldviews. And so you cannot be like the world and also be like Christ. The world cannot hate you, Jesus says, but it hates me. Why? Because I testify to it that its works are evil. Are you following? You kind of see what Jesus is saying here? You cannot be like the world because I'm saying its works are evil. Verse eight. You go up to the feast, he's telling his disciples. I am not going up to this feast for my time has not yet fully come. So he's, there's a, a process here, how he's revealing himself. Everything Jesus does is intentional. Verse nine, after saying this, Jesus remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him, why? Because they want to kill him. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, maybe you've even said this yourself, he is a good man. Others said, no, he is leading people astray. Yet for the fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly about him. So I want to ask you, Two questions this morning stemming from our, our main point. You cannot be like the world and also be like Christ. And the first question is this. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Is he just a good man like verse 12 says? Some, well, some said he is just a good man. You know, like he's a historical figure. He was just good, but he wasn't God. He, he died. He stayed dead. He's just a good man. Um, or... As some of them are saying, he is leading the people astray. Is he a liar? Leading people astray. Is he a good man? Is he a liar? Like the Jews are saying, and others are saying, because they are afraid of the Jews. So let me ask you this. Like, do you refrain from speaking of the things of Christ in your life because you are simply afraid? Or is he king? Or is he king? Who is Jesus? Is he just a good man? Is he a liar leading people astray or is he king? I mean, obviously we come here, we know this, he's king. But let's, let's keep reading and see what Jesus says about himself here. Let's just finish this out all the way for, to, to verse 24. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and he began teaching. Again, everything he does is strategic. Everything he does is intentional. 
The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So last week we talked about how like, the Jews knew his family. They knew jo- Joseph. He was a carpenter. He comes, he's the son of a carpenter. How does he know this stuff? Like, how does he know the Old Testament, basically? Like, how does he know the stuff that we know? And here's what Jesus says to them. My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. Kingship, already right there, right? Jesus sent by God the Father into the world. 17, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. We kind of see the disciples foreshadowing this a little bit in verses four and five. So he says again, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keep the law. Man, he's he's putting them in their place. Grace, truth, together. Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? And the crowd, who we talked about last week, says this. You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? And then Jesus answers them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on, a, if on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Speaking of the fact that he healed someone on the Sabbath, one of the reasons the Jews want to persecute him. And then he says in verse 24, we'll come back to this verse, but he says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So who is Jesus to you? Is he a good man? Is he a liar leading people astray? Or is he the king? And obviously, I guess Christians, we believe that he is the king, right? Like we believe that. He is not just a good man. He's definitely not a liar. He is king. He is king, right? Like he was sent by God, keyword sent here, by God to be king. He's not just the king of the world, but he's the king of our lives, Hopefully one day he becomes the king of our children's lives, right? And the king of our, our family's lives. John 1, 1 through 3, we, we read this a couple months ago. It says, in the beginning, the word was with God, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, Jesus. And without him, Jesus, was not anything made that was made. One of my favorite passages in all of scripture, Colossians 1, says this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. All things created through him, for him. Kingship. All things were created through him and for him. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether in heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. Hebrews 1 says he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. Like he is king. He's not just savior, he's not just Lord. He is king. 
Notice what Jesus says in verse 16 to, to respond to this. My teaching is not mine, but him who, what? Sent me. I wanna go back to that word sent in just a minute. Key word for our time, but he is king. If anyone's will is to do God's will, Jesus says, he will know whether the teaching is from God or not. So like how we work and what we do and how we obey and how we love and how we teach, how we instruct, how we parent, how we love, all this stuff. If it's reflection of who God is, we kind of see that we are from God. Our faith produces our works. Paul says, James says, faith producing works. He is from God or not. And then Jesus confronts them on their questioning of him healing a man on the Sabbath. Jesus, in a way, is defending his own kingship. Church, how you answer this question bleeds into everything in your life, and especially the second question that I'm gonna ask. Depending on who Jesus is, how should Christians relate to the world? If you're a believer, if you're a Christ follower, how should you, as a man and as a woman, relate to the world? We can either, I think, do three things. We can either accept it, the way things are, we can reject it, or we can seek to redeem it. It's like we can accept the fact that the world, the kingdom, like dividing line being blurred, in, really, in this reality, like how we live, how we talk, what we believe, blurred. Should we just accept the way things are and be like, oh no, there goes ABC family again. Oh well, we're just gonna raise our kids up in this. No. No, should we let the teaching and principles of the world bleed into how we view things on marriage, on parenting, on sexuality, on manhood and womanhood, on the family? No, we should absolutely not accept it. Accepting it means we blur the lines of the kingdom in the world. Jesus was perfectly love, but he was also perfectly truth. Love without truth is a classic case of blurring the lines. Same thing, truth without love is a classic case of blurring the lines. So we shouldn't just accept it, but should we reject it? Should we just completely reject the way things are and like all get rid of cable and just listen to K-Love on the radio and only watch movies from the producers of Fireproof? You know, like, no. Great movie, by the way, but no. I think that too is a wrong way to look at it. Like, I don't think we should just like, you know, like get rid of everything and move to the mountains and churn our own butter and like all become like families who like completely seclude ourselves from culture. Like no, I don't think that is what Jesus would do and I don't think he would ask his followers to do. So should we seek to redeem it? Absolutely yes. Let me explain it this way. If you've been in Christian circles for, you know, however long, for a time, for a season, you've probably heard this statement or this phrase, be in the world, but not of the world, right? Be in the world, but not of the world. Like, hate the sin, hate the sinner. Phrases like that, that Christians kind of throw around, um, but aren't actually like Bible verses. And so, be in the world, but not of the world. So when we think of the world in this way, I think we are missing the big picture. And let me, let me kind of explain this to you, how I think Christians can go about like when, when Jesus is saying the world hates me, therefore like by default it's gonna hate you, don't blur the lines. So how can we live in the world? How can we seek to redeem the world? Here, here's some things, let me start with this statement. When we think of the world in this way, we're missing the big picture. I think we can kind of revise this statement 
in the world, not of the world. And it should be said in this way. And if we, if we think about it in this way, it changes everything about us as Christians. Instead of in the world, not of the world, I think we should say I'm sent into the world. I'm sent as one into the world, but not of the world. The difference is subtle, but hopefully you see the difference. The first one only gives you the option to either accept the way things are or reject the way things are. I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. You know, it's like, okay, but how should we redeem the world? The other way says, I think says it best, God has sent us as Christians into the world to redeem it. Sent into, not of, sent into the world, but not of the world. It's a complete different perspective, a different outlook, a different posture for all of life. I am one sent into the world. That means something totally different for my life. Totally different for how I view family. Totally different for how I parent. Totally different for how I spend money. Totally different for everything because I'm viewing the world and living in it as Jesus would. Not trying to blur the lines between kingdom and world, live this way, talk this way, believe the same things. You cannot be like the world and also be like Christ. Verse 24, going back to that, says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with the right judgment. So in other words, Jesus is saying, like I'm sending you into the world to judge the same way that I would judge. Grace and truth, love and truth. It's like I'm sending you into the world to view the world through the same lens that I would view the world. So judge truth as I would. Like judge what the media throws at you as I would. Like judge what you learn in school as I would. Judge the goal of parenting as I would. Judge priorities as I would. Judge these things as I would and not some cheesy Facebook article that we read. Like judge these things through the lenses Jesus would judge them. Do not judge on appearances, but judge with right judgment through his eyes, through grace and truth. He personifies both of them. Jesus is saying, live in the world as I would live in it, as one sent, there's that key word, sent into the world. Not blurring the lines, not all love and no truth, or all truth and no love. No, live in the world as Jesus would live in it, as one who is sent. That's our, that's our aim. That's, that's kind of what he's setting the stage for here. So how should you live as someone sent into the world? Not of the world, but sent into the world. How should we live as a Christian, as a maturing Christian, to seek the redemption of the world? Here's some pretty simple things. Dads who go home from working all day instead of checking out emotionally, physically during the evenings, present with their families, and children, instead of like kicking back in the lazy boy, wrestling with their kids on the couch, being emotionally, physically, spiritually present in the home, that's redemption-seeking stuff. I think that, that's stuff that moves mountains and makes Satan tremble. Parents who lead their children in weekly worship times, parents who teach their children to pray, memorize scripture, learn the Bible, singles who use their singleness for the glory of God, to do big things with it, go to far places, reach people who need reaching if they're able to. Husbands who date their wives, dads who date their daughters. Like if you wanna learn how to live as someone sent into the world, start with your family. Start there and then bleed into everything else. 
Because Jesus is sending us into the world, right? Sending us into the world that hates us, basically. We cannot blur the lines here. Go and do, here's small things that you can do as a believer that the world potentially would see as crazy. Like hobbies, 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 family. You know, family, then everything else. Start there, bleed into every, I think that then will affect your career. I think then will affect, you know, how you are as a neighbor. Like how you view your neighborhood and your community. I think it will affect your local church. I think it will affect everything. If you start there, sent into the world. If you keep reading the New Testament, you learn that the kingdom is already a present reality in this world. Here's what I mean. When Jesus came in the book of Matthew, beginning of all the gospels, Jesus doesn't come empty-handed. He brings with him a kingdom, and we are part of this kingdom already. The kingdom is here already. I want you to see this. But it's not yet in its fullness. When he comes back, the book of Revelation tells us like he comes back and completely restores the kingdom. It's already here, but not yet in its completeness, in its fullness. We are kingdom citizens living in a world that hates Jesus because he testifies to its evil. Therefore, the same thing occurs with us. We are sent into this world as ambassadors for him, already here, but not yet in its fullness. And as Christians, we are sent into the world to do kingdom-driven things, to view the world through the lens of the kingdom, And so I want to remind us of the big idea this morning. You cannot be like the world and also be like Christ because those who are sent by Christ are redeeming the world. How does God redeem the world? Through me and you, bro. Someone who is committed to following Christ, being changed by him, committed to his mission, Those who are sent by Christ are redeeming. We keep reading the Bible. We read Matthew 28. This is the lens through which we live. We read the entire book of Acts. This is the lens through which we read it. Those who are sent by Christ, not in the world but not of the world, sent into the world but not of the world. Those who are sent by Christ are redeeming the world. If you're a Christian in the room, think through how you've been living as a believer and follower of Jesus. That's my challenge, my encouragement. How have you been actively participating in this? Like, what do your homes look like, families, marriages, start there? If, you're, if you aren't a Christian, I would encourage you, as always, to, to repent of sin and believe in the gospel. At FC, we have something called the Karen Prayer Room. So like when we dismiss from this, you just a room right outside these doors, you can't miss it. We have counselors just to talk through stuff, live, even celebrate what's going on. Hopefully, if you're thinking, and God's kind of stirring on your heart, like, what does it mean to follow Christ? Go there. We'd love to, to talk through this with you. But may we remember this morning the weight of what Jesus is talking about. If we're like him, we are like him. We still struggle. We still fail. We still go through valleys. We still find ourselves on mountaintops, right? We still see things our kids do that we wish they wouldn't. We still struggle in our marriages. But we're still sent into the world. There's no prescription qualification a Christian who's sent into the world. Like, oh, you have to have the perfect marriage and the perfect family. Now go make disciples. No, like just go into the world and make disciples. Be a someone sent into the world. We still will struggle. We'll still feel the weight of sin because Jesus hasn't fully come back yet. We get this. 
but hopefully it changes our perspective and our outlook and our postures of how we do it together. May we remember as we respond this morning, you cannot be like the world, also be like Christ. Because those who are sent by Christ are redeeming the world. May we feel that weight this morning as we think through this and go live our lives accordingly. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we are thankful for your perfect son. He's the only one who's perfect. We fail all the time. We fail in every way possible. You sent him because we could not live the life that you intended us to. He lived the life that we could not live, died the death that we should have died. And God, I pray that this morning as we think through these things and talk through these things and let these heavy truths sit on our hearts, I pray that we would rethink through our lives as not just being a Christian in the world, but being a disciple maker who's sent into the world to redeem the world. That's my prayer this morning for our church. That's my prayer for our families, our moms and dads, our teenagers and children in the room and in our church, even those who aren't here today. And God, I pray ultimately that as we do these things, even small things, you would honor our faithfulness and that you would be glorified. Not for our own doing, not for our own gain, but out of obedience and stewardship and the calling to which we've been called as followers of you. That's my prayer this morning. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.